Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combined trad values and an indie spirit. Welcome to the Hobcast book show. We are out and about again. Now, we have to be honest with you. This podcast has been recorded on two occasions. <laughs> the first was not our finest hour. We failed to hit the microphone button. The second was full of wind noise because we're at a golf course. And you won't get the pleasure now of me hitting very bad shots and we swearing. Always, we could always pretend and just go, oh, what a shot. Well, we're sitting with a beer, which is a great thing. On a Sunday afternoon, just ahead of England's glorious victory against Italy, or dismal defeat against the Azzurri. The the Azzurri? That sounds quite glamorous. Just means blue. Oh. The Blues. Uh, Yeah, that's uh, that's their official nickname. But uh, welcome to the show. It is episode 26. Oh, is it 27? No, I think it's 26. 26. I think it's 26. Well, it's one of those. It's in the mid It's in the mid 20 somethings. A confusing age when life gets very confused. Uh, welcome to the show. We are Hobart Books. That is to say, my name's Adrian Hobart and my name's Rebecca Collins. You're the Beck, I'm the Ho. And we publish the following books in the following genres. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thrillers, mysteries, suspense. I didn't even hear that. Crime. I think it was suspense. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying. You're being so mean. It's because I've had half a beer. Yeah, you're slurring already. Well, welcome to the show. Um, we've had a, a very strange week because we've been apart for most of it. And before I go into the week itself, let's just mention who our guest is this week. Bob McDevitt. Oh, I knew I'd stumble over that. Bob. Right, you do it. He's had half a beer as well. Bob. Bob, I can't do it either. Bob McDevitt from Bloody Scotland, the director of Bloody Scotland, which is a festival, of course, and has two awards, which are highly sought after by Scottish authors of the following genre. No, 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 no. Crime, just crime. <laughs> Basically crime. Uh, and we have a Hoback nominee in that competition, do we not? We do. We have the lovely Mark Whiteman. He's uh, in long-listed for the... McIlvanny Prize and also shortlisted for the debut crime novel prize so that's great yeah we've been wanting to get a festival organizer on for some time but Bob is has been doing it for a number of years and in fact runs two festivals um he's the Ayurite festival <laughs> as well which uh, is based in Glasgow but um we're looking forward to speaking to him and he reveals oh, a lot about the Scottish crime writing scene and uh, just how unified it is, it's, which is rather wonderful. And a lot of great writers will be at the festival, which is held between the 17th and the 19th of September mm-hmm. in Stirling. Fingers crossed. COVID allowing. Yeah, fingers crossed. We, we, we are hoping to attend as well, if we can, COVID willing. So uh, very much looking forward to that, especially after talking to Bob this morning, which will be uh, later in this podcast. God, our timeline is getting more and more confused. <laughs> 
Anyway, we're down at the golf course. We, uh, I had a few holes. Uh, I've been playing golf all week, actually, with my sons up in Northumberland. And uh, I have to say, even though it was supposed to be a break from work and a break from you, um, it was more challenging than I could ever have imagined. Yes, I think it's safe to say that uh, if any bad luck could attach itself to you, it really did. And even after that, more bad luck came along your way. Yes, you've had a bad, you've had a, a say, challenging week. Yeah, bits and bobs of, of both sons ill. Uh, we've had uh, lost wallets, um, just and, and just stressful moments. We've had to pay for extra room cleaning because one of my sons was violently ill. Uh, just really tough and the golf was great but the wet first day was super wet and uh, we got really thoroughly soaked through but it, you know it was a change of scene uh the golf was wonderful at slaley hall uh but just just difficult you know when when your poor lad is ill and then the other one gets told to self-isolate halfway through the holiday it's just you know you can't make it up really no so the, the whole idea was you were going to have a nice rest from from the uh, stresses of life with me in Hobeck. <laughs> and actually, I had the most relaxing week and you had a fairly stressful one. Yeah, You didn't have me being a pain. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's, uh, let's talk about the news. We, there, we, there is precious little that we've spotted to really um, grab us, really. Yeah, I think it's been a slow week in the publishing world. Um, yeah, I haven't found anything particular of note. Um, although I, I was browsing through the bookseller yesterday and I, I was looking at the rising star feature which is where every year they pick rising stars in the publishing world and it could be in all sorts of areas of publishing and they're basically people who they think have potential so that you might not have heard of them I, I didn't really know I recognized a couple of names from Twitter but um, it's, it's sort of a way to encourage people who are not far up the ladder in their career but that they're going in the right direction but the one thing I noticed that I found quite interesting was a lot of the people who have been selected didn't necessarily have a traditional route to their current um, job. So the traditional route might be an internship with a publishing house and then through the internship finding a job. So, you know, perhaps basing themselves in London. A lot of them had, uh, through sheer determination, got their job in publishing because publishing is is notoriously difficult to start out in unless you've got some experience or you've got the opportunities presented to you but these people were so determined that they'd done anything to get a job you know they'd worked just enough to pay for their rent or they'd uh, got temping jobs or um, you know jobs that sort of were related to publishing like maybe in the post room or something like that but they'd you know got them got themselves in through their determination which I thought was was quite interesting because I often get asked how can I get into publishing it's so difficult how do I get into publishing how did you do it and uh, you know when I got my job a lot of it was luck an opportunity being in the right place at the right time yeah you worked your own opportunities really didn't you um which was fantastic same in broadcasting really but you know when I started out there were so many opportunities around the country lots of stations needed staff nowadays it's all centralized even BBC local radio now so have a fraction of the staff they used to run on a skeleton staff, really. Um, the opportunities just aren't there. Uh, but by and large, broadcasting pays better than, than early jobs in publishing, I think. But I still started out at less than 10k a year, um, which was just about enough to pay my rent and, and feed myself. 
let alone do anything else, really. £600 a month, I think it was, take home. It's actually about the same. I think my first job was 12000 but that was a little later than when you started, two or three years. Um, yeah, you know, it's... You're doing it for love. Yeah, you, you're doing it for the opportunity, you want to get on. Uh, my next jump up was probably an extra 5000 on top of that, so, you know, it became a little bit better. But, you know, you're not going to get rich from, from the media, unless you're... Well, Gary Lineker or someone like that. <laughs> I'm not Gary Lineker, nor you. <laughs> and, and that's in a week he's taken a pay cut. So that's a piece of news. I mean, the, it's interesting, the BBC salaries dropped by, for top earners, dropped by 2.8 million. People like Hugh Edwards, Zoe Ball offered to have a pay cut because her pay was frankly embarrassing at 1.3 million. Uh, Gary Lineker's lost £300,000, gone down to 1.3 million, still the highest paid star there. Uh, a few other people left so a lot of big salaries went but it's still a stupendous amount of money I mean Hugh Edwards is on £475,000 a, a, a year for reading the news four times a week I could do that, I would do it for half that it's, it's honestly, I know he makes it look easy uh, and it's not that easy but it's not that difficult either, I'll be honest with you <laughs> well there you go maybe that's where you went wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah well, you know, that's uh, that's another story. Well, anyway, let's let's get into our uh, interview because it's it's really a wonderful phenomena at Bloody Scotland. It's been going for its 10th festival and uh, the 10th McIlvany Award will be awarded... Uh, sorry, 9th award will be made this year, uh, 10th next year. So it's uh, it's grown and grown, not least because some very big authors in Scotland have got behind it, like Ian Rankin and Val McDermott, uh, as... Bob will tell us. But Bob McDevitt is uh, not only the director of that, but also another festival. He's a photographer, and he has, in the past, worked for some of the big publishing houses. So there's a lot of interest and wisdom here in this great interview with Bob McDevitt. Bob McDevitt from Bloody Scotland, thank you so much for spending some time with us on the Hobcast Book Show. Not at all. It's nice to be here. Now, it's a big year for the festival, not least sort of being able to physically, fingers crossed, come back to life and, and be, be held somewhere, but also marking a 10th anniversary. So it really does feel as if it's, it's arrived and is, is now firmly established. Yeah, I'm glad you said fingers crossed there because we're still not sure. <laughs> we still haven't announced anything that we're... So we keep, we keep uh, walking this tightrope saying, uh, well, we hope to be having physical events, and, uh, but we're still not 100% sure. But I, I suppose as time goes on, it's looking more likely. Uh, but yes, it's the 10th uh, festival this year. Uh, we can't actually decide whether to celebrate. So it's nine years since the festival started in 2012. So actually 2022 will be 10 years, but this is the 10th festival. So right. mm. uh, we're, we're, we're in two minds as to which one to celebrate. We'll probably do both, which would be the easiest way. Uh, but yeah, no, it's going really well. And uh, I think the festival uh, feels very well established um, for only 10 years. So, you know, we, we certainly feel that we're... Uh, one of the crime festivals to watch in the calendar every year. So, no, it's great. It's, it's, it's a lovely thing to work on. What's been the the journey for the for the festival in the sense of, of you know, the, the first one to now? What would you say is, how's it sort of developed and, and, so, and expanded? So it's really grown, which is which is nice, uh, nice to see. So I, I wasn't involved um, at the start. So the festival was founded by two crime writers. So it was founded by um, Alex Gray and Lynn Anderson. Um, Lynn is still on our board. So Lynn's still involved with the festival. Alex uh, stepped back a couple of years ago. Uh, but the two of those two writers, along with Jenny Brown, 
um, the literary agent uh, based in Scotland uh, started the festival in 2012. Uh, quite quickly, they brought on another couple of writers, so Craig Robertson and Gordon Brown, who writes as Morgan Cry, uh, joined the board. Um, and the festival, you know, it's such a cliche, but it really has gone from strength to strength. So it started relatively small, uh, just two venues, you know, uh, we've always had the support of people like Ian Rankin and Val McDermott and Chris Brookmeyer, Denise Miner, so the, the, the kind of Scottish crime fiction royalty, if you like, uh, have always been uh, very supportive of the festival. But in just 10 uh, editions and 10 festivals, Neil, we've uh, massively increased the, the amount of authors who take part. Obviously, last year was a bit of a blip on that in, in that the 2020 festival had to move um, entirely online. Uh, but we still, even that, we used that as an opportunity to develop the festival in different ways. So we had many, many more international authors, for example, join us last year uh, because it was easier to do that via Zoom because we weren't flying people into Scotland. Um, so we had, I think it was something like 15 different countries represented on the programme. It made it much easier for us to have uh, people like Lee Child join us from the US uh, we had a, a brilliant session with Ian Rankin and Lawrence Block. Um, you know, Lawrence at his home in New York and Ian in Edinburgh. So, you know, it made things like that um, easier. And then, yeah, hopefully with the, the 2021 edition, we will get back to some physical events and panels in Sterling. Uh, although I have to say, we've got a few um, international authors lined up for this year, which will they will be online events. They, they whatever happens will not be coming to Scotland. So it's, this, this year certainly looks at the moment like it's going to be a sort of hybrid of the two. I was going to say hybrid. It sounds like a hybrid that's, festival. I think that's yeah. quite a good solution, isn't it? And that might actually continue after the pandemic. But well, that, you know, I absolutely people... think, I think that's right. I think we've opened that box now. So I think there's a, there's going to be a certain expectation going forward that festivals do have, uh, if not everything, then certainly a lot of their content available uh, online. And we just need to work out how to do that. Cause it's <laughs> That's a challenge for you. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> many, many challenges. Um, how important is the support of, of, of someone like Ian Rankin to to, the, to a festival like this? Well, well Ian and Val, we often, I, I mentioned Scottish crime royalty there. We, you know, we often talk about Ian and Val as the king and queen. Of, king and queen, yeah. Of, noir or of, of Scottish crime fiction. And, you know, we, we, we really can't underestimate uh, how important that their support has been to the festival I mean first of all they've done all kinds of different things you know Ian's played football Val's played with the band that, that she fronts the fun loving crime writers uh, Val <laughs> has uh, presented non-fiction events as well as her novels um, they've both chaired for us they introduce other uh, writers which is great um, so you know just an incredible um incredible level of support uh, Ian this year of course we've got a fantastic um, uh, opening event because Ian has completed uh, a, a William McIlvany manuscript that was left unfinished um, when Willie passed away a few years ago so Ian has been um, uh, given the, the the blessing of McIlvany's family to complete uh, this book called The Dark Remains which is publishing in September so perfect timing for this year's festival so we're very very excited about that i've literally just got the proof uh, <laughs> through this week so i haven't read it but it's sitting on my desk uh, next next up um but yeah so i think michael Vanny left a, 
I think it was about 50 pages of a novel with um, copious notes uh, on where the book would go and Ian has finished it off. So yeah, I'm just a perfect bloody Scotland project really. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And what a challenge. Yeah, I mean, that, to, to be able to finish off, get your, your head into someone else's head and finish off a book for them. I wonder whether you would have much of your own style in it or whether you would try and write completely in their style. Incredible pressure, isn't it? I, th- I think the key thing will be the voice. I think the key thing will be to find uh, Michael Vanny's voice. I mean, it's such a distinctive voice to start with. You know, those books, uh, I don't know if you've read any of the Laidlaw books, but they really are tremendous. All three of the books are, are brilliant. Uh, so I think Ian will have certainly felt that pressure. Um, uh, but I think, yeah, that, 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 it is the challenge, isn't it? O- obviously, this book's going to be an interesting one because you're going to have McIlvany fans buying it. You're also going to have Ian Rankin fans yeah. buying it. The publishers and Ian won't want anyone to be disappointed. So um, Ian might actually feel more nervous than if he was writing a, one of his own books, publishing that. I, I would imagine. That, that's probably <laughs> right. In the in, in the least of it's his own book. It's all his decisions and it's all his. You know, he, he's he, he's made everything. Whereas. Um, this book obviously has been started by someone else. I know I know a few people who have read the book and say have said that it's pretty seamless and that you know it doesn't read like some weird Frankenstein monster <laughs> 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 of a book, you know. Um, so uh, fingers crossed, but yeah, I know I'm very much looking forward to it. It's interesting. I mean, I I haven't read many of the sort of modern retakes of Ian Fleming's works, but I have read Mario Puzo. Um, there was some authors brought in to write further godfather stories oh, really? in the, yeah there was one where it filled in the gap between godfather one and godfather two so effectively it's the transition to um when they moved to utah uh, oh, right. and uh you know they're by the by the lake and you know they're, they're running the las vegas thing so it's those intervening months and it didn't quite read like a puzo novel mind you he was inconsistent as well i mean he he, he could be a bit patchy but but that's hard to to follow someone who's inconsistent well, well it is i mean i suppose i suppose I, I look at it from perspective what i i do as my one of my lines is is narration and i suppose what i'm trying to do when i'm narrating someone's book is to capture the spirit and the way it's written in terms of you know you're trying to capture the spirit of the characters clearly when you're doing different voices but you're also trying to capture the narrative spirit of the author and i suppose that's what ian's doing in a way yeah the, God, the Godfather is a book I've never read, actually. I, I love the film so much that I, I don't know whether I've always worried slightly about reading the book because but it does have, it has a reputation for being a bit of a, a sort of airport novel, hasn't it? Sort of kind of <laughs> airport novel, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's okay. fair. That's yeah. fair. I mean, I think the, the, what, what the beauty of the Godfather films, the first two at least, is the negative space. It's the stuff that isn't said. It's the, the yeah. yeah, it's the the way things are, you know, they create the world and a lot of it's implied. Um, but within Mario Puzo, he spells out everything. So I don't know, I mean, how pe- many people listening to this will be familiar with Godfather 1 to the extent that I am, <laughs> but there's a scene at the wedding where uh, Sonny's wife is using her hands to gesture the size of Sonny's... Um, Yes, manhood. Anyway, that is spelt out in about three pages of graphic detail. So, which would be hard to emulate in a film, wouldn't it? Really? <laughs> it would. So that you know, the Puzo. Kind of film, perhaps. Right. He he <laughs> he labels in. I think 
Coppola, when they worked together, probably stripped out a heck of a lot of of um, of stuff that was superfluous yeah. in, in, in the edit as well. But the thing, I mean, right? Though I think the films and the books are almost almost completely different styles and works of art, aren't they? So yeah. But go, going back to the the book question, I mean, I think that you know, there's been quite a lot. You mentioned the Bond uh, books there. Obviously, Sophie Han has been writing new Poirots, so she's been mm -hmm. taking on that, which is you know a pretty uh, big thing to take on. Um, and obviously, there's a really interesting one. I, I mentioned Lee Child earlier as, as appearing at the, the festival last year. Obviously, he's about to hand over the baton to to Andrew to his brother. So I think a lot of people will be very interested to see uh, what happens to Richard when you know it's a slightly younger man writing. I think you know obviously <laughs> Lee, felt, Lee felt he was coming to the end of his career and wanted a bit of you know I imagine he wanted some time to enjoy his money and put his feet up and you know handing over the writing of, of those books to his younger brother, you know, it'll be an interesting uh, uh, literary experiment as well. So, you know, uh, I mean, I'm very much looking forward to Ian uh, speaking at the festival this year, because I think, you know, we're, I think we're going to have, you know, a discussion around the genesis of this book, as well as, you know, the, the finished product, if you like, you know, so mm. I think we will talk about uh, how the book came to be. Absolutely. Can you imagine the fraternal dynamic if it doesn't quite work out with the, the Reacher books? I, 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 <laughs> I, you know, I, just Lee stand over him and go, well, I wouldn't have written that. <laughs> or, you know, or even he wouldn't say that. He's gonna <laughs> he wouldn't say to, that. <laughs> he's going to have to stand back because he's going to have to just let it, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, no, it's going to be extraordinary. Let's, let's talk about this year's um, McIlvenny Prize long list. Um, yep. It's a long, long list this year. A very long, long list. Yeah, 13 books. We usually aim for 10 or 12, depending on the scores, but we there was nothing to separate the bottom four books this year, so we just felt it was unfair to, you know, to ditch one book just on a sort of numerical <laughs> tick. So, yeah, so 13. We're making jokes about it being a bookseller's dozen. Or a <laughs> bookseller's dozen, yeah, that's true. Yeah, I don't know what the what you know. You're closely supported by by Waterstones, obviously, and they they make a big feature yeah. of, of of the books yeah, um, when, when it's announced. Uh, did they roll their eyes and think, "Oh, how do we fit thirteen books onto a shelf?" Oh, our or? shelves <laughs> only have space of twelve. No, no, quite quite the opposite. I think they, the more books, the better for them. They, so they like to get behind as many books as possible. Um, and the good thing, I mean, the good thing about the the long list this year is that you know it's, it's a real mix of those established names that we spoke about. So Val's in there, Denise, Denise Miner's in there, Chris Brookmeyer, Alec yeah. Grace. You've got some real big, you know, heavy hitters of Scottish fiction, but there's also three debuts, um, including your own book, including Mark's uh, Waking the Tiger. Uh, but it's, it's great to see three of the books that made the debut prize shortlist also making the McIlvany longlist. So I just, I just think it shakes things up a little bit. And also, I mean, we, we make a lot of... Um, noise about the broad church of Scottish crime fiction uh, at the moment. I think it's, you know, really interesting that Scottish crime includes, you know, police procedurals and uh, dystopian uh, pandemic novels and historical novels. Craig Russell's Hyde is on the list. There's legal thriller, um, William McIntyre's Bad Debt. He's a lawyer who uh, has a series of legal thrillers. So I think it's really interesting that, you know, Scottish fiction is it's not just hard drinking detectives. Um, there's really a lot of um, breadth and depth uh, in, and it's you know reflected really well in that long list this year. So. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. That's true, yeah. I was just wondering. Like we made it up, and they are genuinely read. The books are all read six times by just ordinary crime readers. So we've got we've got this great band of readers who are it's made up of booksellers and librarians and you know bloggers and people who've come to the festival, and they do the initial uh, the initial judging because it's just you know I think we had seventy four books submitted uh, <laughs> this year. So it's just it's too many books for. So do they volunteer uh, then for that? Yeah. Role? The volunteers they get they get some free stuff they get free books and they get some free tickets for the festival but uh, yeah we don't pay we don't pay the readers um but they absolutely love it i mean when i send out my initial email asking if people want to come you know come back and do it again they're like, oh yes it's one of my favorite things I love them. <laughs> um, and also it's quite nice for them because they quite often get books that aren't out yet so, so the, the way the the eligibility um for the books uh submitted to the festival to the prize uh, right up until August of this year, so those books that still haven't come out uh, that are eligible for this year's prize. So it's quite nice that they, you know, they might get to read the new Val McDermott or yeah. new, or something before anyone else. So yeah, it's a, it's a nice process. Uh, but yeah, the, so the books are the books are scored. Every book's read six times, six different readers, and then I get I get uh, just a score out of ten, and that 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 gives us our long list. And then the books go to the judges. So these the thirteen books that are long-listed now go to our judges and they make the final decisions it's fantastic that there is this sort of democratic element in the sense that you know these are real readers and well you know and devoted fiction uh fans of the genre who are picking out these books yeah absolutely we've all i mean there's lots of different ways that prizes are administered around the world but that this has seemed to work for us we you know it's thrown up some We've had some interesting, so, you know, Chris has won the prize and uh, Denise Miner's won the prize, but last year it was a debut that won for the first time. So Francine Toon's book, Pine, won the McIlvany Prize mm. last year. Now, interestingly, it was shortlisted for the debut prize and didn't win the debut prize. So, you know, we, we, we've given ourselves this uh, potential situation where a book can either win both, so it's entirely possible mm. that a book could win the debut prize and also win the McIlvany Prize. It's equally possible that a book cannot win one and win the other because it's completely different judges so yeah that's quite interesting i mean it's where it's when you look at prizes and the importance of the um the subjective nature of you know people having different opinions so i mean that's the only way you can judge um oh it's like with art isn't it art and and literature you know there's always going to be a subjective element you can't it's not a tick box you know, and, and, and I've just made the point that the books are very different and, you know, cover lots of different uh, genres within the crime genre. So, you know, it, you know, it might be that judges don't particularly like historical crime or that they don't particularly like hard-boiled police procedurals or that, you know, so it's, it, it, it's I mean, I, I'm more than happy if you've got suggestions, but I can't think of other ways to, or not a way to make it entirely fair and entirely. No, well, I think this is a fair way, though, isn't it? Yeah, because, so think, like you say, that one judge might have one preference, another judge another, and then they get to discuss it. I imagine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If they, so, have, so. If they disagree on who should win, do Usually they? Over a nice lunch, but you know, it's good. <laughs> it's good. I mean, I'm happy to talk about this because I don't play any part in the judging, so I'm there. Uh, so I'm usually just sitting making notes and that, but you know, we just we just let the judges fight it out, and it, you know, it's been some years. It's been very, very uh, a very straightforward process, and it's been almost unanimous. And other years, there's been real, you know, really detailed discussion uh, about why 
one book and not the other was more deserving or why one book was better written or why one book tried uh, to do something different or you know so it's really interesting the the, area, the 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 sort of avenues that the conversation goes down do they have to stay in a hotel until they make a decision <laughs> no we try and get a quiet corner of a restaurant but i'm always terrified of that of, of you know, sort of overhearing because i mean the the, the the good thing i think about the prize is that absolutely no one knows uh, until the night so we we try really really hard uh, to keep the winner of both prizes uh, a secret. So we try and get as many of the shortlisted and finalists there in Stirling, which, you know, is a, is a bit mean because obviously only one person can win each prize and there's going to be an element of, of disappointment. But I think, you know, the authors all understand that and they, they, they're all uh, happy to to be there. And, you know, being a finalist for the McElvaney Prize means we're saying you're one of the four best, you know, mm. Scottish crime novels published that year so most people are happy to be in that no I think I think that's right yeah I think just being part of the process so I know because I've been at the lunch we have to tell our press uh Fiona who does our press and PR because she's obviously got to have a press release ready to go as we announce it and the only other person who knows is the 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 company uh the the prize is sponsored by the Glencairn Glass and they, they provide us with beautiful engraved um uh trophies so the the person who engraves the trophy knows because <laughs> they have to but literally it's that it's that smaller uh, that smaller group so uh, the rest, pe- people the like keeping secrets though don't they <laughs> yeah I, I think i think something like this well it, it really, you know it works for us uh, in terms of theater you know it's, it's a bit more it's a bit more of a, a a reveal on the night so we have you know we have a Again, it was different last year because we had to do it online, which was a bit... Oh, I felt for the authors last year because they were always sitting on a Zoom and then they just had to, you know, maintain kind of Oscar faces as the... <laughs> so that, that was a bit... I think it's different if you're in a venue where there's a bar. Rather yes. than just going to the kitchen for a beer. Yeah, and you're with, your, and you're with your, your partner or your publisher or... And the cat walking that, past. Yeah, there's... People to uh, to commiserate with, and then obviously at the festival, uh, we we give the prize first, so it's the first thing we do on the Friday evening. So we're then straight into the the, the, the festival event. So there's lots of other mm. stuff to do. Whereas last year, as you say, it felt people were just sitting in the in the front room, kind of going, "Oh, well, I lost <laughs> that." And, uh, but uh, you know that last year was probably a a bad example. That again, it's one of the things we're very much hoping that we will return to doing. Uh, and giving physically this year so um and it, it's nice if you're in a a nice venue and as i say everyone's got a drink and then you announce the winner and there's photographs and there's a press call and all that kind of stuff so you know it's it's it's, it's exciting mm. yeah, absolutely and and am i right in thinking that manda scott when she won it she split the prize but she did yeah so that, that again that, you, you can never you know it's a live event and you never know what people are going to do but manda felt very strongly that even the idea of you know comparing apples with oranges and apples with pears was was a, a, a difficult thing to get an answer to so she although she had won um shared the prize money so yeah she shared the prize money with three other authors that year it's difficult but we still we still have manda listed as the winner of the prize that year i think we do usually put a wee bracket saying although she decided to share but yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's but yeah that was an unusual thing as well you know so well, I think that, that that's an expression also of the, the sense of community I, I, I get from 
from the Scottish crime writing scene? Is that is that what you find on the night and in general, the sort of supportive nature of? of I mean, that, absolutely. I mean, we've not we've not had any sort of sour grapes or any bad mouthing or any you know people slagging other other writers off. It just doesn't happen. You know, it, it, I find the crime writing community to be an incredibly supportive uh, community. As I say, they're very um, uh, very supportive of new writers coming through. Uh, very supportive of, of um, you know appearing on panels with different combinations of all the writers that we've met, we've mentioned already, you know that kind of thing. So, um, I mean, it's the way to be, isn't it? They 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 all know they're going to see each other at different crime festivals and other book festivals yes. and other occasions through the year. So you know, much better to approach these things in a in a collegiate <laughs> manner <laughs> rather than than some you know race to the top. Um, yes, you don't want to murder to, at the festival. We try to stay away from any sort of political. So there, there's not. I've never been aware of any discussion of, oh, it's so and so's turn, <laughs> or you know, they really deserve it because you know the, the last five books have been. You know, there's, there's, there's. We try to stay away from that sort of thing, yeah, um, as much as possible. And we had a, a slightly unfortunate uh, situation in that the first five years of the prize was all they were all won by men. So we mm. did have a situation on until Denise Minor won it. The, so the, the, hers was only the second year of being called the Michael Vanney Prize, but the, the Bloody Scotland Prize existed before that. And it was just unfortunate it had all been men winning it. And it's so difficult because you, you, you don't know whether, you, you don't want to say, well, a woman's got to win it this year, because then there might be a really great book by a man who then quite rightly feel that he was being unfairly penalized yes. for other people having one. So it was something we were aware of, but just had to let it play out. And then since Denise won, we've had three women win and last <laughs> both both winners so far of the debut prize have been women. So it's it's now it seems to have turned around that the men men can't win the prize. It's, it's <laughs> Sorry Mark, yeah. <laughs> Sorry about that. Uh, but my point is we try and stay away from those kind of political decisions. Yeah, just, no, I think that's right. Just let the best book win or the best book as judged by those judges that year. Yeah. One. You can always make an argument that someone didn't like the book that won. And there, there will always be that. There will always be people saying, well, yeah, it was a good book, but it wasn't as good as such and such. And you kind of think, well, the judges disagree. <laughs> that's your opinion. That. <laughs> yeah, I think that you just have to have to go for that. So, But there's been a lot of political pressure around prizes recently let's be honest i mean look at the way harrogate have been pinged in the last week or so for not well uh, that's it, not the prize that's the no pro- no that was the panelists admitted yeah, yeah. I, think, yeah. I do think that's different I, I i think that's a different thing i think that we you know uh, as, a, as a as a festival director myself i think it's, some, it's something you absolutely should be aware of so uh, i think you know i think that's a slightly different issue and i think they mm. were a they should have they should have been over that i think yeah yeah but it but there is a there is a uh, every it seems that in every sphere at the moment there is a very strong pressure to reflect diversity in everything yeah and and so how how do you as a director of the festival uh, react to that and 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 keep that you know actually practically address that well, we, we you know we 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 try to reflect the first diversity in the in the program so uh, you know Unfortunately, the, the the long list for the prize this year is all white writers. But you know, we there aren't that many Scottish crime writers of colour, so we would love to see more 
Scottish crime writers of colour. So we, we are trying to look at the uh, avenues that I spoke about before. So Pitch Perfect and Crime in the Spotlight, which are, are, are um, uh, the mechanisms that we have at the festival for discovering unpublished writers and for um, giving new and emerging writers a, a shot at the festival. So we, we do look at the diversity in those very carefully. Um, we've also partnered up with Harville uh, to uh, promote a new prize, specifically looking for a new BME writer. So the first one, uh, the first winner was announced this year, a uh, terrific book called The Waiter by Ajay Chowdhury. Uh, and mm. Ajay's going to be at the festival this year um, as part of one of our panels. Uh, so I think it's things like that. I think it's looking for opportunities uh, to, you know, uh, to increase the, the diversity that, that, you know, we make a lot of noises about uh, interesting new voices coming through. And that's exactly what I think this is. Yeah. I think it's just looking for new uh, voices and people telling different stories. Um, I mean, Mark's book, your own book, that's long listed for the prize and shortlisted mm. for the debut prize this year. Obviously, Mark's a white Scottish guy, but he's chosen to set his debut novel in Singapore and to have a mixed race uh, detective, central character, and take on, you know, and that, that was, you know, it was something I certainly hadn't read before. It was something that was interesting and new <coughs> to me. So, um, you know, I think, I think uh, all these things should be considered. Yeah, and that was a cons- uh, that that crossed our minds too, you know. And 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 Mark's very conscious of the fact that that he's writing from that perspective, and and does he have a right to to have a main character from that perspective, you know, from that ethnic background? Um, but we concluded that you know, from his experience of living in Singapore, it's so yeah. authentic in that sense that you know he he you know, he's danced that line very very carefully. Yeah. yeah. It's difficult. So in terms of the wider festival scene, um, you know, fingers crossed, the physical festival happens in September. Um, Harrogate, clearly, they've hedged their bets. They went for it. They made a sort of late calls to sort of get the first tranche of tickets sold. And now they've opened it up because certainly in England on July the 19th, Freedom Day, as it's, laughing, as it's laughingly known. Um, I keep thinking of Mel Gibson shouting something. Yes. Uh, freedom um sorry about the scottish accent uh, <laughs> but um yeah, but they've just opened up the, the sales of, of yeah. wider festival tickets uh because they're confident that they, they can now fill the venues and and the you know restrictions are going to be lifted but um how much communication is there between yourselves harrogate uh the bristol you know crime fest all those sort of festivals do you, do you have a is there a collegiate feel to that as well uh, not, not, not really with, uh, not really with the English festivals. There's just this year, so uh, uh, partly as a result of the pandemic, Creative Scotland have given some money to the Wigtown Festival to start a Scottish Festivals Network. So I've, I've been quite involved in the setup of that, um, and it's been really interesting because across Scotland, I think there's about 52 festivals involved in this network. And that's everyone from, you know, the Edinburgh International Book Festival and Wigtown and I Write in Glasgow, which I uh, run as well. Yes. Scotland. But then there's some very, very small festivals. So you've, you've got these big festivals, which are, you know, 10 days or two weeks or two long weekends or ourselves a, a long weekend. And then there's some festivals that are just one day and they're just, you know, they're very much sort of a one person uh, 
uh, passion project and sometimes very rural, sometimes very uh, remote. So there's festivals on Cove and Kilcreggan, there's Ullapool, there's the Isle of Sky Book Festival, there's mm-hmm. all these things. So it's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I was yeah, just thinking um, we could have a Norbury festival. Prime well, festival. I mean, they're, they're, they're springing up all over the place, aren't they? So that 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 has had a really collegiate feel. So we we've been uh, talking a lot about the digital um, elements of festivals and now returning to a sort of hybrid uh, model, how we can do that, how the festivals can support each other with technical expertise and don't make this mistake that I made and all <laughs> that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, no, that, that has been interesting. Uh, we don't really speak to other crime festivals. I have to say we don't have much to do with um, Harrogate or Capital Crime. Or uh, I've got a sort of awareness of their programmes and I kind of know who's... Sure. Around. And we keep an eye on their prizes as well because obviously it's quite interesting to see which books have perhaps made their long list or short list that do that don't make ours. But we've got a unique um, offering in that the books are all Scottish. So, mm. I think that's quite interesting though that you're talking to festivals that aren't crime. You know, the other sort of subgenres of literature. So you know, yeah. you, you must sort of pick pick each other's brains in um, in that way as well. Yeah, because a lot of the organisation stuff has nothing really to do with the the the, the genre of books. So the you know ticketing and marketing and venue management and all those kind of things it doesn't really matter what's on the, the stage obviously it matters from a, an artistic point of view um for the festival but there are there's lots of infrastructure and nuts and bolts and things that we can talk about that aren't really book related although having said that there's at the at the network meetings there's been quite a lot of discussion about really good sessions as well so some people have said oh if you get a chance to include so-and-so on your program they're really brilliant or this person did a really great thing for children or really good interactive event or so there's there's been a bit of that kind of artistic discussion along with the along with the more um day-to-day stuff let's briefly branch away from from the festival and and talk about you know your other side to life i mean you're a photographer Yes. And we even have your book here, which we didn't realise we had. You know, we knew we had the book, but we didn't know it was you. Yes, yes. so I bought it from the Morecambe Advice Festival. Let's, let's spell out what it is. Okay, this is a it's it's um more of a sort of visual book. Uh, 101 <laughs> Men in Kilts, yes. and the cover attracted me straight away on the table of books at the Morecambe Advice Festival, and I thought I've got to have this. And I had no idea it was written by you. <laughs> Lovely Chris on the front there. You'd be, be very pleased. Uh, yeah, so a few years ago I was commissioned. So uh, I photography for me was a hobby. So I started at university with film cameras, with, you know, old-fashioned uh, proper cameras. Uh, and then with this sort of digital revolution in photography, um, I it was just a hobby that mm. um, grew into a sort of, it's a little bit of my income every year. So um my own history in book selling and publishing. When I worked for Waterstones for many years, then I worked in publishing, first of all in Scotland and London, uh, then set up a, a Hachette Scotland imprint. So I, I ran for eight years uh, an imprint of Hachette books in Scotland. So I was commissioning Scottish crime and history and whiskey and golf books and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, but then, you know, was made redundant after the, the great crash of... 2008 I was made redundant in 2010 and I started what has become a bit of a sort of portfolio career so I run uh, a couple of book festivals and again until the pandemic I was doing a bit of photography so I do a lot of um, theatre 
photography, a lot of headshots for actors and writers, that sort of thing. And then a few years ago, I was commissioned by um, Backpage Press in Glasgow, a uh, small publisher, to do it's essentially a bit of tourist publishing. It was just it's exactly what it says on the cover. It's 101 photographs of nice looking men in kilts <laughs> in different locations. So we did, you know, Stirling Castle and we did Glencoe and uh, the Isle of Arran and uh, Edinburgh, yeah, uh, various locations all around Scotland. Um, but it was good. It was really good. We, we sold 10,000 copies of it, which was kind of amazing. So yeah, and um, I have one of them. <laughs> you've got one of them. So we did that. The Morecambe Vice Festival was interesting because I, I um, appeared on a panel at that festival. So there was a panel of uh, other festival organisers talking about just what we were talking about just now, how to run a festival and how to get it off the ground and how to um, grow your festival and keep it interesting. And when I was speaking to the organisers of that festival, they said, well, I think we've got a book out. And I said, yeah, but it's not a crime book. You know, <laughs> they're like, no, no, we'll, just, we'll get some copies. That's fine. So that's very nice that one that has made it into the hands of a, an actual punter. <laughs> yeah, I am an actual punter. Have you not been tempted to write a crime novel then, with all your experience and? No, I'm not a writer. I have to say, so people ask me this uh, all the time, and I, I just don't think I've got the. I just don't think I have the concentration. I think it's such a big undertaking. I think it's such a. a, a I think it would take up so much time, and also it, books. I, I mean, I, I'm a, an avid reader. I love, I love reading. Um, and books form quite a big part of my working life. And I just don't think it would feel, it wouldn't, it's not something I'd want to do with my spare time at the moment. I, you know, I, I, I do a bit of theatre as well. So I do a bit of sort of amateur dramatics, uh, I do photography. And one of the things that I like about both those things is that they're not book related and they're not anything really, well, apart from the Celtic book, obviously, which became a book. But as you say, there was no writing involved. And I, you know, I wrote a tiny bit of copy for the cover. <laughs> And that's the only words that are in that book. The rest of it is just, you know, nice photographs. But um, no, I quite, I quite like switching off from the book world. And I think if I was to now start using my spare time to try and get a crime novel together, um, I just, I think it may be too much. Having said that, I do occasionally get 30 pages into a book and think, Jesus Christ, somebody could do better than this. This is not, you know, <laughs> not any good. So. <laughs> Who knows, maybe one day if I'm yeah. retired and got more time on my hands, I, I would think about it. <laughs> Sounds like you got your hands full anyway. Um, yeah. Bob, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Thank you so much for your time. No, it's been lovely. No worries. Thanks a lot. And good luck with the festival, which, of course, runs from the, and let me see from memory, 19th to the 21st of September. No, 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 17th to the 19th. Of... 17th to the 19th. 17th. See, my you memory were is close. They're was not quite pretty, there. <laughs> I, I, I don't I'd have turned up at the bar as it emptied. Yeah. Oh, that would be quite funny if we turned up on the last day. Where's everyone going? <laughs> Sorry. Has the prize been announced? Does anyone know who won? <laughs> and don't forget oh, yeah, to check not. out the Bloody Scotland website for the long list for the McIlvanny Prize, the short list for the debut prize. Uh, it is a fantastic organisation, fantastic festival, and we can't wait to join Mark there and join yourself. So... Uh, Great. Uh, best, so best of luck to you as well. As, as I say, I have no, uh, I have no skin in the game, so I can, <laughs> I can wish you luck without any, any fear of. Uh, Absolutely. Thank <laughs> you. Bob McDevitt from Bloody Scotland and the festival, seventeenth to the nineteenth, hopefully, in Stirling. They're still hedging their bets a little bit, and it's uh, going to be wonderful. And we'll soon enough know the uh, shortlist for the McIlvanny Prize praying that Mark Whiteman makes that but nonetheless great achievement to make it to the long list
Yeah, it's fantastic. So, yeah, a month and a bit, isn't it, till we find out whether he's made a shortlist. But and Bob did say to us he had no, he has no hand in the prize, so <laughs> he wasn't going to accept our bribes. Damn it! <laughs> Not that we've got much to offer. <laughs> you know, a night with Aki. <laughs> maybe I mean in her company I don't mean you know anything else right um, something struck me um, we play this little game don't we sometimes when we get the Daily Mail online up on the on the screen and you may have noticed I think we may have discussed this on the programme before but they have certain verbiage that they <laughs> use you know busty displays and such like on, in the sidebar of shame on, yeah, on the Daily Mail online it, the sidebar of shame that's what they call it uh, they call it that as well. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah, I used to work with somebody who worked for the Daily Mail, and that's what they flaunts used to call it. and things like that, don't oh, they? Yeah, yeah, flaunts, abs, you know, ample assets, you know, whatever. Um, but we've noticed that the bookseller also has its own <laughs> vocabulary. Without the assets. Without the assets, you know, so-and-so. They don't flaunt. But what they do is they talk a lot about acquisitions in the, in the, you know, in the, the parlance of publishing in other words, the signing of authors. And uh, they have some... Well, they really have warped the language a little bit to uh, to keep <laughs> to have a bit of variety in the way they describe it. For example, Hobeck lands Jenny Ensor. We snap up Malcolm Hollingdrake. Secured Robert Dawes. <laughs> we preempt. Well, actually, we didn't preempt anybody. <laughs> That's when you go into uh, you win a bidding war before it even starts. <laughs> I don't think we have been in a bidding war, not yet. Um, Hobeck scoops Wendy Turbin. <laughs> Just sounds wrong. <laughs> Hobeck clinches Anthony Dunford. <laughs> Hobeck scores Harry Fisher. And we snare. Um, who should I go for next? Linda Huber. This is a good test. <laughs> and apologies for all the other authors we didn't mention. <laughs> Out of the 16... Personal. No, nothing personal. Oh, there's more, there's more. Well, these are the more general terms. Oh, right. So, um, I can't even read my own writing. Expands. Acquires. <laughs> Acquires and expands. So... Such and such imprint expands their crime section. Oh, or, well, Hobeck could it? You know, expand or, our crime section. Yeah, Hobeck acquires Pen- Penguin Random House, which is inevitable eventually. Shh, you're not supposed to tell them about that. That's top secret. <laughs> In negotiation with. Oh, the way things are going, we'll, we'll easily outrun them. So uh, <laughs> we're coming for you, Penguin Random House, whatever else you're called now. Uh, Hachette Bloomsbury. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's just, I mean, that's just a sample of the sort of things they write on a regular basis. And uh, journalese, I mean, it's awful. In uh, sports journalism, a lot of it's changed because before I joined the BBC, it was a broadcasting organisation only. I've talked about this before. Then they got into CFAX, and so they had to bring in text journalists for the first time. And CFAX required you to write headlines that had a certain number of characters, like 36 characters. And so uh, lots of phrases came in um, at that point to shorten up the headlines. And uh, it changed the dynamic of broadcast writing suddenly because they were nicking stuff off CFAX, you know, in a hurry. They started to say things that you would see on CFAX. And uh, it corrupted language, I think. So would you call that the CFAXization of 
initially, but then online it became even more pronounced, frankly. Um, and there are certain phrases that they use all the time that I absolutely abhor. So, for instance, when you talk about the Premier League, if you've already mentioned the Premier League in your article, then you'll talk, talk about the top flight. The top flight? I don't know what that means. No, exactly. I mean, it's meaningless, really. But, <laughs> you know, that's what people shove in there just to make it something different. Transfer news. So-and-so, well, they swoop. Oh, they swoop, uh, Scoop, they? swoop. I. Oh, I know how you feel about the uh, verb I. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a Dan Brownism, isn't it? By the way, if you're submitting to Hobeck any time in the future, if you use the verb, which really isn't a verb, I, I will ignore your submission immediately. It, I mean, one or two of our writers have slipped them through and have asked them to be removed. <laughs> they will never be allowed to be published. That's your particular bugbear, isn't it? He eyed the murderer. So-and-so says it's a big ask. <laughs> oh, I can't stand a big ask. Horrible. Mm. Horrible phrase. So there's lots of that comes in um, through, you know, online journalism. Because another problem that uh, BBC sports writers have is that, I don't I may have changed now, but the BBC Sport website, because it used to be transferred onto um, CFAX, they used to take the first four lines of any story and shove them on CFAX. You had to write as if it was for CFAX. So you had a very barest, very, very uninteresting four lines of text at the start of a match report or any form of reporting and then it would go into the the bit that was actually well written and interesting and gave you a sense of uh, what happened but the first four lines were really bald I would say so you're you're saying you had to cover the story in four lines absolutely yeah Uh, and it was a real hamstrung everything it was a real art to be able to condense it into four lines, but it was a horrible, horrible start to a to an article. But do you think that's taught you to be concise? I didn't have to do too much of it, thank goodness. I mean, I was news editor for the website for, for uh, on sport for three months, the toughest three months of my of my career in many ways. Um, just learning a new format, and you know, some of the things that were going on at the time were very difficult to to manage. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it is it is a skill. I mean, I, I know broadcasters who have gone through the CFAX world and emerged as broadcasters at the other end of it who are, are superb writers because they waste no words. You know, they keep it very tight and build simple sentences, but very clean writing. And But with their delivery, and I'm thinking of Mike Costello, who does the boxing and the athletics for Five Live, he is the master of the of the match report however they've got rid of match reports now they they you know used to routinely hear you know uh, so and so was at the match and then there'll be a 30 second 40 second match report considered match report and uh, apart from on a saturday afternoon you don't hear them anymore no but i do think that's a very valuable skill and i know yeah the the way they've got they've had to get that skill might not be ideal but there are so many people who still think the more you write the better oh totally Totally no, no. I, I used to love writing a, uh, an artful dispatch. Um, I loved it, you know, getting a, uh, a cracking voice piece with a measure, you know, so that people knew, were in no doubt as to what happened and and why it happened, but it also had some artistry to it. That was my favourite thing to do. Yeah, and I still think you, I think you've retained some of that skill, like with blurb writing, for example. Yeah, 
Yeah, her part's very kind of me. Um, it's just as well. <laughs> Got to bring something to the party. Oh, you bring plenty to the party. Did you miss me last week? Um, yes, I did miss you. Um, I think I, it was quite a productive week. Um, <laughs> but because I had nobody to distract me in a, in a positive way, as in, you know, let's go and have coffee or... <laughs> So I did, I just stayed at home and got on with it. Um, but it was a very smooth smooth week. You know, we didn't have anything happen particularly. I got, it was, like I say, it was quite a productive week. And then I tried not to disturb you too much with, um, can you please help me with this? So, yeah, it was fun. It was a good week. Excellent. Well, back to normal next week. <laughs> Thank you again for listening to this edition of the Hobcast. I would love to tell you who our guest is next week, but we're going to keep it a mystery. Yeah, I, th- I think that's wise. I think we have to keep it a secret. We do. We do. It's, it's going to be a fantastic guest, uh, but it's a mystery at the moment. Uh, I'm saying no more than that. <laughs> anyway, thank you for joining us on the Hobcast. Don't forget again to look at our website, www.hobec.net. You can get 20% off any of our paperbacks through that uh, website. And also, well, there's loads of content there, just wonderful stuff. Trust me. (laughs) I wrote half of it. Um, Is that true? (laughs) I'm not sure that's true. Anyway, uh, it has been a wonderful show until this very moment when I got very upset. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe also to uh, wherever you get your podcast from. And uh, it'll download every week a weekly podcast, the Hobek book show but it's uh, time for me to say farewell adrian hobart and time for me to say fairway on the golf course <laughs> it's more like shout for right <laughs> from rebecca uh thank you very much and uh, we'll speak to you next week you've been listening to the hobcast from hobeck books with adrian hobart and rebecca collins you can find the show notes at our website www.hobeck.net You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to the Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit